I'm Bonnie Wolf, and I want to welcome you to the American Food Roots podcast. I'm here with Peter Ogburn, who is a contributor to American Food Roots, which is an online magazine which talks about the stories behind America's foods. Today, we are going to talk about a couple of stories that were on the website this week. Hello, Peter. Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Um, The first story I wanted to talk about is a story we did on truffles. Okay. You you I love chocolate truffles. No. These are the the truffles that grow in the ground. Oh, okay. All right. And there are so many things you don't know about truffles, Peter. It's just hard to know where to start. Um, First of all, where do you think they grow? Uh, I would say Italy and France. They do grow in Italy and France. Nailed it. But surprisingly, they also grow all over Oregon. Is that right? Uh, at least in the Willamette Valley, which is in the northwest corner of the state where where all the wine comes from. So the same conditions that make it a good place to grow grapes to make wine also make it a good place for these truffles to grow underground. Truffles grow underground. They're the only mushrooms that grow underground. All other mushrooms grow above ground and sustain themselves by spreading their spores through the air, but not the truffle. So the truffles are, I mean, I know that this is going to sound silly because, like, I, I know what truffles are, and I understand that they are a, a fungus mushroom type situation, but, I mean, they are just fancy mushrooms. Am I wrong, or is that, well, when I did te- I dumb it down too much? I dumb you, down um, too much. you dumbed it down a little, but okay. not really too much. Okay, all right. The reason they're so expensive is because they're really hard to get. Okay. And well, they grow they, underground. And there's well, so do you know how we get truffles? Peter? This I know. This is the pigs. These are where the pigs come in. Okay. Traditionally, pigs have been used to okay. get truffles, and the reason is that the truffle is underground, and it is really serious about spreading its spores, and it can't do it underground. So it has to let somebody know when it's ripe. Usually, these are small rodents. What it does to let you know that it's ripe is to emit this incredibly intoxicating, irresistible smell that mimics, are you ready? Uh Uh-huh. A pig in heat. That would be a male pig. (laughs) Okay. So they take- Are you kidding? I am not kidding. Oh, man. So they take the girl pig out, called a sow, (laughs) as you probably know. Sure. And- she walks around. They hold her on a pretty strong tether. They're little pigs being a little hard to train. And she smells this because it is irresistible to her. And she thinks she's going to get a date. But the trend in the last few years has been away from pigs um, to dogs because for a number of reasons. First of all, pigs really like to eat the truffles. So if, <laughs> I can see how that would be a problem. Yeah, somebody, it cut under your profit margin a little bit. Totally. Somebody told me that you can always tell a truffle hunter who uses pigs because he doesn't have all his fingers. So, <laughs> then he just pushing around really fat pigs. Yeah. Really well-fed pigs. So that's a problem. Um, pigs are kind of hard to train. Sure. And the the other problem someone told me is if you're driving, you know, you know mushroom hunters are very secretive. Oh, yeah, sure. They don't want to share. I did know that, yeah. They, they do not want to share. So um, the other problem is that if you're driving around with a pig in your car, 
everybody knows where you're going. Follow that guy. Exactly. <laughs> so in Europe, they traditionally used pigs. But in the last few years or centuries, you know, in Europe, it's we don't talk about years, we talk about centuries. They've been using dogs. There is a very fancy Italian dog, um, the name of which I would mangle, that costs, you can get a puppy for a mere $6,000. And they are particularly sure. trained to go for those truffles. Um, but you can also use a lamp. So uh, you can probably use a dog you get from the shelter. Okay, so here's my first. Here's my first question: These dogs are attracted to the same scent that the pigs are attracted to. Exactly. So you've got these. Okay, but they don't find it. They don't get crazy. Their standards aren't as high as the other pigs. No, okay, they'll the, they'll go after anything. Well, the pigs, the pigs really need to get to that truffle. Right. It's a matter of survival for okay. both the truffle and the pig. Got it. The dog smells it, goes to it, but you can train the dog to just leave it alone. Okay. So, right. um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of that going on. The traditional so. Oregon has all these truffles. They grow under Douglas fir trees. I mean, who knew? There are seven native truffles uh, to North America, and four of them are in Oregon. There's, there are two whites, a black, and the occasional brown. And the, they, I never, You never see brown truffles on a menu. No. And these are um, – they're, they're rare. They're harder to get. And whereas the European truffles cost about, oh, $2,000 a pound, um, the Oregon truffles can go for as little as three fifty a pound. So what a bargain. That's $350. Got just. it. <laughs> Got it. What a steal. Yeah, it is a steal. And part of the reason is that the Oregon truffles traditionally have gotten no respect sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of the fungus world. And part of the reason was that people go out traditionally in Oregon have gone out with rakes to get truffles. So when you rake up truffles, you get mature truffles as well as immature truffles. Now, the whole thing about the truffle, coming back to your question about aren't they just fancy mushrooms, Okay, is the truffle doesn't taste like much. It's the smell. That same aroma, perfume, what have you, uh, hormonal mix. Uh, <laughs> I will never eat pork the same way ever again after this story, Bonnie. Well, it makes you feel for the pigs, doesn't sure. it? So, sure. Yeah, these, these truffles taste like sexual frustration. Exactly. <laughs> so this, this same smell that the pig sees also makes people fall to their knees. It's, it's really this heady... Um, very appealing aroma. But not when it's cooked, not when it's put into food. I mean, this is a tricky thing, the truffle. Um, it's it's very appealing when it's added at the very last minute to something. So you have – it really loves fat. So you have a pile of pasta and cream sauce. You take that truffle. You grate a little bit of it over the pasta it re the, releases the gases, and there's some chemical reaction. It comes to your nose, and you pay anything. But the unripe truffles, which have been gone out from Oregon often, have no taste and no smell. So chefs, somebody told me they, about a chef in New York who threw away 70% of the truffles he got because there was no taste, no smell. And so... Oregon truffles got a bad reputation, 
and now they're trying. There's a, a wonderful, in the ninth year of the Oregon Truffle Festival, which is held in January every year, it um, for two days you go to seminars about truffle dogs, you do truffle tasting, you go to the grand dinner where truffles are in everything you eat in all five courses and, of course, dessert. Sounds like a rough gig. Yeah, it's bad. And they sell out three months in advance. So the word is getting out about the Oregon truffle. Expect prices to go up. You might want to buy shares in Oregon truffles now before the price goes through the roof. Wow. That's interesting. Plus, if you go to that festival without a date, you might find a lonely pig looking for <laughs> a good time. So, so there's going. that. Yes. There's that. <laughs> So, Bonnie, I see that you have the menu for the state dinner. We had a state dinner in Washington, D.C. for the president of France. Exactly. And I haven't seen... I haven't (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I haven't seen the menu yet, and you have it. So I'm I'm curious to know what's on it. Well, let me first tell you that it's probably less than we would have had because I think he came without a date. Yeah, he came came stag. None of his girlfriends, his partner, nobody apparently wanted to go. I know a pig in Oregon that could... (laughs) No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So... The menu is so sourced. I mean, you know every farm that everything comes from, with one interesting exception, which is the uh, winter garden salad of petite mixed radish, baby carrots, Merlot lettuce, and red wine vinaigrette, is, I believe, the only unsourced thing on the menu. The menu says this is in tribute to the First Lady's garden. I guess it would be hard to say, you know, which radish came from where. Right, (laughs) right. um, So the menu is touted as a traditionally American menu. (laughs) Which could mean so many things. It could be interpreted so many ways. So what do you think? Hamburgers and French fries? What do you Uh, think they're going to serve here? (laughs) When I think American cuisine, uh, I would think uh, uh, there, there might be some sort of meat and potatoes situation going on. You would be right. And look at that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, the first course is something that you'd absolutely, you'd probably expect like pigs in a blanket. But instead, you would have American Ocetra caviar. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, I only know what one of those words means. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And I don't really know and should, I really need to look into this. I didn't know there was such a big American caviar industry, although... I don't know where we have sturgeon, but I know we're we're, we're farm raising sturgeon, yeah. and um, and Ocetra caviar is from a sturgeon. It's not beluga. I think is the top caviar. That's from a different, a fancier sturgeon. <laughs> but um, at any rate, that will be the first course, as well as fingerling potato velouté. Okay. Which is a potato melange. We're going to be using all French words here. Just like mom used to make. Exactly. Yeah. With 12 different potatoes. So they could get a lot potatoes from a lot of different states. Okay. And, you know, they'll be in a lot of different colors. We have your purple potatoes, your red potatoes, white potatoes. This will be served with the typical American quail egg. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. crisped chive potatoes. So it's potatoes with potatoes topped with an egg. It's, that's called a carbo load. Yeah. That is a but, carbo load. Um, now, I have to say, I love quail eggs. Have sure. you ever had a quail egg? I have. I love quail eggs. First of all, they're adorable. They are precious. I mean, you you like poach a quail egg or fry a quail egg, and it's about the size of a quarter. Yeah. And it's just adorable. Really good, by the way, on top of shad roe. 
Oh, yum. Yeah, just as an FYI. Okay, so that takes us to the second course, which I've spoiled by already telling you. It's the winter garden salad. Got it. With uh, all these vegetables from who knows where. Um, <laughs> but it was inspired by the First Lady's it Garden. It was inspired by the First Lady's Garden. Main course, dry-aged ribeye beef. That's America There's right your there. beef. That's you got America. your beef. You got your potatoes. Then we have some... Bl- it's, but this is just a... It's essentially just a steak. Exactly. Okay. Well, I don't know. It just says dry-aged ribeye beef. It okay. doesn't say how it's going to be prepared. All right. And if it's really American, how would we want it prepared? As a steak, like a, 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 a medium-rare, bloody, bloody-ish uh, steak. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, it's from a family-owned farm in Colorado. Of course it is. Um, it's going to be served with a Jasper Hill Farm blue cheese from Vermont with charred shallots. Okay. Oyster mushrooms and braised chard. I think that sounds really kind of delicious. That sounds pretty good. I, 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 I could get with that. I like that. And I think that's pretty representative of an American I do too. special occasion meal. Yeah. It's taking meat and potatoes and dressing it up and taking it to the White House for dinner. All right. I, I, I endorse that dish. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Like it's like beef in a tuck. Yeah, right, right. Okay. <laughs> which, Potatoes by the way, in a gown. Which, by the way, is what my date called me at my high school prom. <laughs> but so, what else do we have? Dessert. Mm-hmm. If this is a purely American-inspired meal, this has got to be apple pie. Wouldn't you think? Right. No. We've got to go someplace outside the lower forty-eight. Okay. Which takes us to Hawaii. Hawaii. And of course, the president's from Hawaii. That's right. That's right. So we have a chocolate malted cake that combines bittersweet chocolate from Hawaii with tangerines from Florida, and it will be served with vanilla ice cream from Pennsylvania. (laughs) There will also be fudge made from Vermont maple syrup. Wait. I guess there'll be chocolate in it, too. Maple fudge? I I could... But that sounds sounds kind of delicious. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Lavender shortbread cookies. Okay. And are you ready? You've already named like three desserts. Okay, but wait wait for this one. Okay. Cotton candy dusted with orange zest. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. I'm good with that. So that's also cotton candy, you know, I mean, it's spun sugar. That is America on a stick. I, I wonder what color cotton candy. Yeah, that's a good point. Is I hope it it's the tie-dye nasty stuff that you get at the circus that they just put some orange zest on top. You know, I'm enough older than you that I've never seen tie-dyed cotton candy. Oh, sister, you haven't lived. <laughs> you haven't lived. Okay, so that's it for the state dinner. That sounds good. All right, Peter, as you probably well know, having two small children, mm-hmm. the big news in the food world for the last, I don't know, month has been, should you bring children to a restaurant? Right. This all started in Chicago at Alinea when a couple... Now, at Alinea, you have to order your table months in advance, put out a deposit of, I don't know, $200, which is, by the way, not refundable. Right. So this couple had made plans to go to dinner. Their date came up. The sitter canceled. What do you do? Do you forfeit the... Hundreds of dollars that you've already put down for the dinner, or do you bring the eight-month-old with you? They they wow. They brought the baby. 
and shockingly, the baby cried through dinner. <laughs> yeah. So oh, people man. sitting all around them are not happy. These are people who got their own sitters and are now at dinner paying hundreds of dollars for a three-star Michelin restaurant. Yeah. Continuing our French theme. And um, they've got this crying baby who apparently was not taken outside. So the chef tweeted, what should I do? Should I ban babies? I hate to do that. Well, the blogosphere has lit up, been lit up for weeks over this one. What what and I will say that most of the um, the comment has been no babies in three star restaurants that cost over six hundred dollars and don't serve don't give you crayons when right, you come in. That's right. a clue. Uh, yeah, yeah. I found that to be early on in my dining out when when I had children. If you walk into somewhere and they don't have high chairs. Exactly. You look for the visual you clues. You absolutely look for the visual clues. Yeah. You absolutely Does it, do. Is it, a, is it a white paper tablecloth with a jar of crayons? Is there a high chair? Yeah. Um, the correct answer to this, by the way, is absolutely not. You should not bring a baby to a place that you have to put a hundreds of dollars deposit down to eat there. Um, because just the number one rule of treating others as you would want to be treated. If, if you're someone who's the spending, golden rule, the golden rule, if someone's spending, if you're like, let's say, you know, you get to your 25th wedding anniversary and you and your wife decide, or your husband decide, or your spouse decide that you want to go out and you want to go and spend $800 on dinner and drinks, right? And you sit down and you have this nice romantic setup and directly across from you is a crying, screaming baby that no one can rationalize with, no one can tell to stop crying and have it listen. That will ruin that nearly $1,000 or sometimes even above $1,000 experience. But is it the responsibility of the parent or the restaurant? Well, look, I think that any parent should know better than to put their child in that situation. But I also think that a restaurant could easily just say, ma'am, sir, we are very sorry, but we will not be able to accommodate your child in our restaurant tonight. Please talk to the hostess, talk to someone else to make another reservation. We will refund your deposit. The restaurant's going to have to eat a little bit on that. Exactly. I mean, I think that's sort of key, that you can't make no refund because then somebody is going to bring their baby when the sitter quits. Look. If you're someone who is, and this is not uncommon for people to fly into a town just to eat at the restaurants these days, let's say a storm comes up and your flight is delayed and you've still got this firmly planted no refund policy, that sort of makes you look like like uh, uh, like you're not willing to work to please your customers, which in the restaurant business is what you're all about. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I'd love to hear one. When I had a two-year-old, um, we took him to California with us because what else are you going to do with a two-year-old when you go to California? And we were walking around all day up and down the hills in one of those little umbrella strollers. So at about one thirty, we really wanted to go to the North End for lunch, for an Italian lunch. And I would picked a restaurant. We were very excited. And I said to my son, who was two, honey, are you tired? And he said, yes. I said, can you go to a restaurant and be a good boy? And he said, no. And we took him anyway. Okay. okay. And okay. so we ordered our meal. 
The food came, and he started to scream. We then asked for our food to be packed up and left the restaurant because you can't do that. Right. And the kid told us yep. he couldn't do it. Yep. Can't blame him. You're absolutely you yeah. were you were absolutely We were good parents. You were you you were you were wrong to not listen. <laughs> <laughs> you were wrong to not listen, but you did the right thing by packing up and leaving. We you learned from our mistakes. Oh boy, I cannot <laughs> tell you how many times even in even in some of these family type restaurants where it's okay to bring kids and, and a child has a meltdown um having been one of the parents of a child having a meltdown, you gather them up, you 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 walk outside, or you go to the bathroom or something, and you just like let them decompress, let them get it all out. There are a lot of people around you when you're at the table. When when we first had kids, we were we frequented a loud, obnoxious burger chain restaurant that was a sit down place. But they sort of had, you know, a little bit of everything for everybody. And it was expected that when we go there, it was going to be the most offensively loud restaurant in our neighborhood. And so if our child had an absolute, complete and utter meltdown, nobody would notice. Right. Nobody it, would notice. I think that and you it just, happened. part of being a new parent is acknowledging the fact that, say, for the next 12 years... You're not going to have that good in a restaurant meal. Right. You know, cook at home. Right. Exactly. And so I have to tell you one of the things that I have put into place at at my house, because I uh, my my oldest turns nine very soon uh, and I have a six year old and our table manners had gotten so out of control bad that we have started the Peter Ogburn School of Etiquette. And this, this is actually this fascinating. Is genuinely what we call it. And so what we do is that and I cook dinner just about every night in, in, at home. So I make dinner. We all sit down. We we are polite. We do the yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, th- please and thank you, right? We we make sure that we're eating with our fork and not with our hands, right? We're not doing the macaroni and cheese with our hands thing. Has this been difficult for you to stop eating with your hands? <laughs> the biggest problem is with me, right? <laughs> because I'm just reaching over and grabbing stuff off the kids' plates. No, we, we use our forks. We put our napkin on our lap. We say thank you to everybody who helps and passes food or How whatever. long have you been doing this? We've been doing this now. Okay, so here's the deal. We've been doing this now for about three months and I give them little grades, right, at the end, which my wife thinks is ridiculous. But I give them little grades at the end of each meal, and I tell them whether or not they passed or they failed. And if they failed, then we just try again tomorrow. Now, if they have gone 10 meals in a row with a passing grade, then they get to go out for a nice dinner at a nice restaurant with either mom or dad. This is both of them or one of them? Well, whoever whoever earns it. Yeah, but you don't want to take them both, just one. Well, parent. if they both earn it. Oh no, no, it's like a it's like a special thing, like yeah. a special one on one with mom or with dad. They this get to pick a, the parent. This is brilliant. Did you think of this yourself? I did. That is brilliant. Was I did. there a precipitating event? Was there a particularly bad experience somewhere? There was a, there was just a couple there were there were a couple of nights in a row that were just particularly bad. What were they doing? It's, you know, like they'll bring toys to the table sometimes. Did you, which, did you mention they're both boys? They're both boys. Yeah. I should mention that they're both boys, and they are 100% boys. Uh, they, they would bring toys to the table. That we would, they would get food all over their face. <laughs> They'd spill food down the front of their clothes. Uh, 
playing with the dog. The dog would come up, and then they would, you know, hold their food up and make the dog jump forward. So all these manners we are trying, or bad manners we are trying to get rid of. So I am pleased to report that my oldest has accomplished his. Wow. He's he's finally graduated from the Ogburn School of Etiquette. Okay, that is fabulous. So but he doesn't, but he he you can't graduate. No, no, no. To. You just, he's earned his first right. reward. This is, look. It's, on, it's an ongoing school if of you've life. Ever, if you've ever met me and, you, and I'm the one teaching you etiquette, you've got big problems. But, <laughs> but uh, it's, this is just the first in the series of rewards. So my oldest and I are going to a very nice restaurant, and he is very excited. We've taken a look at the menu. He's come up with a couple of new dishes he's going to try, at the, and he's very excited. He's very pleased with himself. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Peter, I want to alert you to what's coming up that you should be looking for at AmericanFoodRoots.com. Okay. We're celebrating Abraham Lincoln's birthday, and I interviewed a woman who has written what I think is a really fascinating book. It is called Abraham Lincoln in the Kitchen. A Culinary View of Lincoln's Life and Times. The fr- the cover of the book has Abraham Lincoln in a blue apron. And there is a reason for this. There's a story about, it, it turns out Abraham Lincoln did some of the cooking. He did some of the shopping. I mean, he may have even done the dishes. Not only was he one of the, if not the greatest presidents of our lifetime, he was a good man to have around the house. So, How did he eat all that food with his wooden teeth? <laughs> Go back to History 101. Sorry, I'll chill myself out. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this week. Make sure that you check us out on AmericanFoodRoots.com. Look for us on Twitter at AMERFoodRoots, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And we look forward to talking to you about more American food next week.